Welcome back to Podcast BC, a podcast for sharing the stories of the product community around Vancouver and the rest of British Columbia, Canada. My name is Blake Fisher. This season, we continue to explore our central theme focusing on stories and viewpoints for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today, I am joined by Eric Bin, Head of Product at Article, an e-commerce-based modern furnishings company that delivers to your home. Eric has been a strong product leader around Vancouver for years now, previously working in roles at Procurify, Clio, Aid Books, Coast Capital, Blast Radius, eBay, and more. I'll be chatting with Eric around his experiences in growing a product team, seeing the growth of the Vancouver product community overall, and his thoughts in hiring and building a diverse product team in his new role at Article. Please stick around to listen in. This is Podcast BC. All right, Eric, thanks for joining me today on Podcast BC. I'm super excited to finally sit down and talk with you. Um, I've heard people speak about you a lot in some of my prior roles at Van City and elsewhere. And I remember you from networking events around Vancouver. Particularly, I remember seeing you and your entourage back when you worked at Clio, arriving at Product Camp Vancouver and thought to myself, wow, this is a really great product team. I should go chat with them. Sadly, I didn't get a chance to connect, but here we are chatting now. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, I'm excited to excited to be on this podcast and uh, hopefully my stuff is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Just to start off with like a little bit of an icebreaker, um, I'm curious about, you know, what has uh, life been like for you over the past few months? Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, past the year mark now. Um, what have you been doing? Um, I've been doing, doing all right. Like, you know, I, I started a new job at Article. Um, it's almost been three months and uh, super thrilled to be back into the e-commerce space, which is where my foundations come from. So that that's been fantastic. And one of my mentors had said to me that it's not work if it's fun. And I can tell people very much so that at, at Article, I'm just having a blast. I, I show up to work and I don't feel like it's work. It's just lots of fun and opportunity. So that's been great. Uh, on the personal side, you know, I've been super fortunate throughout this pandemic. You know, I, I'm not one of those people that have been affected a lot. You know, obviously, we all have been affected and that we've been stuck at home and not able to enjoy life in, in the way that we wanted to. But I didn't lose my job because of the pandemic. I have a home that's large enough that I can have a home office that, you know, a lot of people don't benefit from that. So I, I've been really lucky. Um, I guess maybe the only bummer is that I've got a two-year-old that's about to have her second birthday in a couple of weeks. And that's been two birthdays in a row that aren't birthday parties. And uh, fortunately, she's young enough that she won't remember. But it'd be <laughs> cool if grandma and grandpa could uh, spend some time with her. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. We got the vaccines on the way, so hopefully that'll happen soon. But yeah, I've got a yeah. I've got a young nephew as well who's also just turning two, and uh, same issue, like kind of insular to the family. Lots of Zoom calls, and kids don't seem to really resonate with that as much. Exactly. Yeah. So Eric, tell me a little bit about your background. I noticed you've worked at a lot of interesting companies here in Vancouver, a lot of different product roles. Uh, tell me about how you broke into product management. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm an accidental product manager like most folks. Um, I'm a political science major with an economics minor. Um, so on, on paper, I probably have no justification to be in this uh, space or this position, but I'm sure lots of people uh, say that. Uh, one of my mentors, Gibson Biddle, he, he's an English major ended up VP product at Netflix. So I think it all works out just fine. Um, but my, I come from project management and customer support. I work at eBay, uh, 
way, way back in customer support, became a project manager, and then somehow stumbled my way into Amazon. And I did that for five and a half years out of Victoria. And that's when I actually learned how to be a product manager. And then uh, as luck would have it, uh, you know, I got married to my girlfriend and she lives in Vancouver. So I had to come back home. So uh, off I go into adventure, uh, helping Clio grow. We, when I joined it, 120 people. When I left, it was 360. Uh, then I went to Procureify as, as VP of product uh, over the past couple of years. And now here I'm at Article, a, a super fast, high growth company. So really excited about what's, uh, what's happening here. Awesome. What has it been like kind of in the roles that you've worked at observing the growth of the product community in Vancouver? Has it changed a lot or has it been relatively the same? It's changed a ton. Um, you know, I think when I got into product management, this is 12 years ago, that it was really almost an extension of project management, the way it was treated in the city. We didn't have any of the big tech companies here. They didn't have big offices and a lot of the startups around here it wasn't really much of a startup scene. When I came back to Vancouver, uh, this is now six years ago, there was starting to be a bit of a product community. Uh, the folks like John Hawkins and John Shaw, they started the meetup group and we started having some regular meetups. You can see the excitement, 100 people coming out to these gatherings. So it's, it's really grown. And now with all the tech companies in place and large companies that are here, there's really a, a ton of demand. There's actually now far more demand than there is supply. I think 12 years ago, there were lots of supply, not a lot of demand. And that's totally flipped, uh, flipped a switch. Throughout your roles and as you've ascended as a product leader, did you find yourself facing any challenges or barriers in getting started or jumping between your roles? Um, I think... I'd say yes and no. Um, all of us experience some forms of privilege and then some forms of not privilege in this space, whether it's the kind of line of work or not. I was lucky enough to have access to a computer when I was in grade three and I started learning how to program. So even though I'm a poli-sci major, I got into the technology space pretty early on and it made it much easier for me to get into tech um, when I was lucky enough to get a support job at eBay that turned into a tech job. So I, I've been pretty fortunate for the most part. Uh, on, on the flip side, not having a technical degree can be a bit of a barrier, especially back then. Today, it's not a big deal, but 12 years ago, not having a computer science degree for a product manager was uh, was definitely a, a challenge that your uh, people look at you with a lot more skepticism. Um, you currently lead product at Article. What's that story been like? How long have you been with Article and what's it like building a product culture there? Uh, yeah, so I joined uh, January 11th. It was a team of five product managers that I inherited and I think a really strong team, a lot of talented folks, but also uh, really understaffed, not through the fault of anyone. COVID was actually really good for business for Article. In some ways, not a surprise. People couldn't go on vacations, couldn't go to restaurants anymore. They were stuck at home. And uh, what are you going to do? You're going to redecorate. You're going to get some really beautiful furniture to, to decorate your home because uh, you got to spend your money somewhere. So that growth that we experienced in the past year exposed uh, some of the gaps in our business. And one of them is not having enough product managers. So we're trying to grow our team to 12 p.m. right now. The other part, the culture change that we're uh, trying to drive is that because we've been understaffed, product managers have been operating more as project managers, that management team said, hey, we want this. And we're so backed up that the PMs are focused on just delivering on really important initiatives. Now we're trying to change that to say, hey, we have enough capacity. We want to be your strategic partners. Uh, we want to help you see the future. You know, as an example, we have our own delivery teams. So people are often surprised. They think they look at article and they, they think we're just an e-commerce site. But we're actually vertically integrated. We source our own materials. We build our own uh, own furniture. We put it on ships ourselves, and then we ship them to one of our five or six warehouses. And a lot of our orders are delivered by our own staff. And 
that's that's a lot more complexity for our business, but it also creates a lot of new challenges. If we deliver 100% of our orders and we double in size as a business, that actually works out to like an 8x increase in uh, complexity of our business. So our product manager job is to think about that feature. Like, hey, when if you 8x something, what does it what does it mean to our business? And especially in our world where margins matter. Uh, it's like, I'm not selling software, we're adding another license, cost nothing. I'm selling pieces of furniture that, you know, we collect a fixed amount of money for, and it costs us a fixed amount of money to make. Uh, it isn't just, you know, some exponential increase in profit. Each item costs money for us. So really great challenges for our team to, to work through. What has that been like in terms of moving to like tangible goods, even though you're still working in the e-commerce space, you're working with physical items, not software primarily. So has that been a learning challenge for you or your team? Um, it's, for me, it's, it's been great getting back to e-commerce. Um, so when I work at Amazon, I was part of a, a subsidiary called Eight Books that was a uh, marketplace for used and collectible books, uh, anything up to like a million dollars for really rare books. And there's something super tangible about working in a business where the things that you're transacting are, are physical um, and it, it makes a huge difference. So I, I really enjoy this, this part. When I joined Article, I had a friend who wrote me a thousand word email to tell me how much she loved Article. I had people I hadn't heard from in years write me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I heard you join Article. I love it. You know, you guys are amazing. And it's often in this kind of business, the, your friends are the ones using your product and family. And so it matters that they love it. It, it feels like you're not a lot closer to it. Whereas in a SaaS business, it can be a lot trickier to have that connection. Like when I was working at Clio, I had never been in a lawyer's office prior to joining Clio. And it's one of those things where it's like, wait a second, like, you know, I, I don't have that natural connection. I have to build it. And, and then it's not like I have friends calling me up who are lawyers and saying, gosh, I love your software. Uh, <laughs> like mom and dad don't understand what I do. But working at Article, mom and dad totally understand because, hey, you know, like, hey, mom, dad, you need a couch, you need a dining table, you, you need, need a uh, new bed frame. And they say, oh, this is great and, and so forth. Uh, so I, I really like that. So uh, different product managers come in many shapes and sizes and, and styles. Um, I like working in a very tangible business that's very operationally focused. That's really interesting. Like I've always wondered, like people don't have that same awe about software. They're not putting in their living rooms and mm -hmm. maybe something like a TV set or the software you're yeah. running through an Apple TV or something is the only exception, but yeah. uh, having a couch in your living room, definitely that's a, a talking piece for everyone. In the yeah. It's yeah. the, um, I think you and I come from that generation and a lot of our, uh, our peers come from this generation where our parents don't really know what we do. Yeah. And you know, they, their friend asks, Hey, what do your kids do? And they're like, well, they work with computers. Uh, and you, in many cases, I'm still IT support. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and as long as I worked at a company that does software like SaaS, it's hard for them to connect with it. And now, now my parents understand what I do. Um, and maybe I'm just a glorified furniture salesman uh, in their mind, but it's still something to get. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I will say for the pandemic is it's created more digital awareness of like what the power of e-commerce can do and how to order things online. Like even uh, the most Luddite uh, parent or relative or something uh, seems to have some sort of connection to it now. So those conversations are easier. Totally. Yeah. So Eric, I really wanted to talk with you today about the experience that you're having in hiring a diverse product team. I'd like to know a little bit more about how diversity is important to you and what gave you that focus and what has the journey been like? Diversity matters a ton, both for moral reasons, uh, but also for business reasons. And it's important to actually, when, when you're within a company, be able to differentiate 
the two because what a company cares about may or may not be moral. Uh, it may just be, hey, for business reasons, it makes sense. And it turns out for both reasons, it makes tons of sense, uh, which is great. I actually came by this by accident. When I joined Clio, the product team that includes engineering was about 40 people and there were only two women on it, one designer, one developer. In the early days, I, I would make jokes about how there were more bathroom stalls for women than there were uh, women on the team. And, but it was a topic of conversation within the company. There was a sense of like, hey, we, we want to make this better. And uh, one thing led to another. And next thing you know, I, I'm helping organize a diversity inclusion group at Clio. That initially started as for moral reasons. It's just like, hey, like we should reduce barriers to, for people to uh, get in here. And the second reason, the business reason, is that diversity leads to better teams. The different points of views that you get lead to higher quality decision making which is fundamentally what product managers are here for. Our job within a company is to help the company make better decisions and do it more quickly. Well, how do you do that? Well, you can't get there by groupthink. You can't get there by monoculture. So it, it makes sense a thousand percent, which is bad math, that you, you have a diverse uh, workplace open to different opinions. Uh, so that, that's how I kind of got into it. And then that's how I kind of see it. Like, okay, it's like, it's, A, it's the right thing to do, but B, it's also like a great thing for the business as well. Podcast BC is British Columbia's very own product podcast for those working in or aspiring to join the companies building strong communities of product leaders, product managers, product marketers, designers, engineers, and to all of those who want to build and grow product-driven organizations. If you're new to this podcast, please consider listening back to our past episodes and subscribe through your favorite podcast service like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or others. Up next... I'll continue my chat with Eric Bin from Article with tips on building a diverse product culture. Do you have any uh, tips or tactics for other hiring managers or product leaders out there that are looking to build more of a diverse culture or better values aligned culture in their workplace? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a ton of things to do. And, and maybe the number one thing is just realizing that it's, a, it's hard work and it's a journey. Uh, that you're not going to see a payoff just immediately. So you can't just declare that, hey, we're, we're going to be a diverse company. And then suddenly it, it changes. Odds are whatever amount of diversity you have, you're probably not satisfied with it. That there are very few companies out there uh, that are, let's say, at 50-50 gender diversity, you know, or that the ethnic backgrounds are reflective of society. It's, it's really hard because for one thing, most of this, the data shows that only about 25% of product managers are women. And it's similar to that with engineers. Uh, designers are higher. I think designers are probably close to 50-50. So even if you're average, you're at a quarter of your team is, is diverse. So you're starting from a really tough spot. So realize it's a journey and realize there's, there's a whole bunch of constituents that you have to get buy-in on. There's going to be people who potentially... It's less of a problem now, but potentially will be, will think that if you focus on diversity, that it's going to lower the bar. Uh, oh, you mean you're going to open the door to hiring people uh, who are lower quality? It's like, well, that's actually not the point. The point is I want to have a, a bigger pool of people to hire from, uh, that I am never going to exclude someone on the basis of who they are. I'm going to say, hey, like who you are is a part of the story. It's actually of value to who we are as a company. because. I think we can get too tied up in stuff like, oh, you know, like the the core skill as uh, let's say a developer is like you write great code, but 
you know, I, I don't think any, any of us think of it as like, that's the most important skill in many ways. Uh, the ability of a developer to communicate options, to communicate different perspectives, to understand a customer, to be engaged in the value of the business and the impact on it. Those are all in many ways, just as valuable or more valuable than the ability to write code. So that, that's a constituent of folks that might resist. Hey, let's talk about that. Then you got the constituents who's like, let's say hypothetically recruiting, who says, oh, you just made my job harder because you want me to focus on diverse candidates. And yes, there's a bit of that, but it's actually just about focus. Like, okay, which events do you want to sponsor? What, uh, what filters do you want to use on LinkedIn? Uh, what resumes uh, do you want to uh, scan through that by default, for example, for myself, I review all the resumes that come in. Uh, I've, I've always done it at all the companies I do as, as the first stage. And we all have natural biases. So I, I made it made it a point that women candidates would automatically go one step further than, than men. And some would say, oh, that, that's unfair. But arguably, a man could say, hey, like, that's not fair that a woman gets an advantage. But we're actually just trying to equalize for opportunity. We're not actually trying to give them an advantage. So just to sum up, it's a long road. You've got a lot of constituents that you need to bring in. And it's about focus. So those are the kind of the three things that I'd say people need to be aware of. Great tips. I had my own dawn about this when I was chatting with designers a few years ago about accessibility challenges. And uh, it was a designer I had met who was colorblind themselves. And I was shocked and probably a little curt at the time being like, well, how can you be a designer if you're colorblind? And then changed my worldview once I had a really harsh conversation about that afterwards. But I think, you know, the role that that women or diverse hires can play inside of an organization really does speak to that same element of like being able to empathize with the things outside of our monoculture or outside of like the norms. And like you pointed out, in an engineer writing great code is usually the standard. We put down a bunch of skills in terms of a resume, but being able to hire somebody based on their experience or their ability to empathize differently than ourselves, I'm starting to see it pop up on job profile files. I'm really happy to see that that's actually being highly considered in terms of like the candidates that are coming in beyond just what their experience is in yeah. terms of like their career. And all that. Totally. I think um, one of the, like we mostly focus our diversity inclusion conversations around gender and ethnicity, uh, but, but you bring up a good point. You brought up disability being colorblind. Years ago, I met a customer of Clio's that was blind. She was a blind user using our web-based product. And we were, I was really fortunate. I happened to be in Chicago for a trip and that's where she was out of. So I got to go to visit her at the end of my trip and got to watch how she used a product. And, and frankly, it was embarrassing for us because we had never considered that to be a part of the product. And at least, you know, way, way back. And, you know, Cleo's made tons of progress on that to make the product more accessible to people who don't have sight. And so having that diversity in your team, even disabilities, or, you know, backgrounds, like whether you're an immigrant or you're born here or like socioeconomic situations. By default, people of privilege will always be the ones that get the best jobs. That's just kind of how it works. Like people go to Harvard, not really for the education, but for the network. I want to meet the rich people <laughs> who have access. And that's the value of my Harvard education. So we have to be really mindful of the folks that don't have that advantage. Like, and even boils down to stuff like how you do interviews for a candidate. Uh, that a common thing that we often do in the tech business is we give people case studies to take home, homework assignments, which are perfectly doable for someone who's single and young. They got no commitments. Of course, they can spend a, a full night or, or a weekend working on it. But if you're a single mom or you're coming from a situation where you're working two jobs or, or whatever that might be, a case study is a huge barrier to someone being able to participate in, in the process. Yeah. 
yeah, I've been in interviews where somebody's still going through night school and they're working two jobs at the same time, trying yeah. to get their big crack in the door and they can't do that. You know, they, they are worried about their timelines to turn that around and you want to follow up with them the next day or the day yeah. after. So yeah, being mindful and mm-hmm. better understanding where that person is at and giving them the time and space yeah. to do that is super important. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've had such a variety of roles in the product community, being a product leader yourself. What advice would you have as far as like product leaders in Vancouver right now, seeing the changes that have happened in the community here? Is there any advice you'd say in terms of people that are aspiring to become product leaders in terms of making sure that they can be on that journey themselves? I think of my job, and it's taken me time to kind of get to this place. I have three core responsibilities as a leader. Number one is to build a great team. Number two is to enable that team. And the last one is to ensure trains run on time, which is living up to our commitments. I think number two and three are things that a lot of people spend their time on, leaders in particular, that is, hey, like, you know, good process, good strategy, vision, all that kind of stuff. And then they living up to commitments. We got to hit our dates. We got to whatever that may be. But number one is the one that we fundamentally don't spend enough time on. But it's also the biggest point of leverage for a company that as a leader, it's not my work that matters. It's the work of my team, especially if you're in a growth company. If your company is growing 20, 30, 40, 50%, that means your team is likely growing at that size. And that means you constantly have to be able to grow your team. And the cost of not being able to recruit someone quickly is massive. The amount of projects that you have to put off, the missed revenue opportunities that, that you run into. So every leader should be obsessed about their hiring process, recruiting, training, coaching, uh, networking, all, all of that stuff. Uh, right now, I'm, I spend about 60% of my week focused on nothing but that, like reviewing resumes, interviewing people, checking LinkedIn, and then working with my team to grow them as well, coaching them up, making sure they're getting great feedback. That's the most important thing that any product leader can work on. And that's whether you're a manager or not. If you're not a manager, you're a senior PM looking to grow. The number one thing you can do to help your team is get great people on board. And the people that are on board, make them great. The multiplier effect is so massive when you focus on that. That's good for you as a company. It's also probably good for you as reputationally, because, hey, like you're seen as a person that that helps out and grows people. But the bigger problem is that we don't have enough supply. (laughs) We have this huge constraint not just in Vancouver, but in the entire industry that we don't have enough people that can, that are available to do this job. We have lots of eager people, lots of people going to take an MBA program, studying product management, going to brain station and so forth. But getting into product management is one of the hardest things about product management. And we all need to contribute to helping people get into those jobs because the short term is I need to coach up my existing team. The medium term is I have to be great at recruiting to bring people in. But the long, long term, I need to ensure a pipeline for my next five years as, as a leader. But it takes time to pay off. It's easy for all of us to put that off. Classic problem, I'm focusing on the short term. Got to ship what I have to ship. I'm going to coach the people that I have. But it, it will pay off in the long run, regardless of where you work. I'll cite my own example. I closed three PMs a, a month ago in a week. Oh. That's something that I couldn't do. At, at Clio, the best I ever did was five and seven weeks. And so like, there's a bit of a momentum building that you that you have to go through uh, to get that. But your commitment to helping people get into the space, to building a relationships and network, uh, help yourself, but also helps the community. 
interesting. I, I went to a credit union conference a bunch of years ago, and uh, they had the theme of the conference as the war for talent. And uh, a lot of it was similar tips about like trying to make sure you're conditioning for the future uh, and making those pipelines open, not just focusing on the present and your needs right now. So uh, good to hear that as well. And yeah. absolutely agree. Well, Eric, I'm going to wrap things up here. Uh, just curious if you have any parting thoughts for listeners of the show uh, or anything else on uh, the topic of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think put it top of mind that, you know, if the goal is to build a great team, that there are actually few levers that are more powerful than building a diverse team. It takes time and effort, but the return on investment is just so high uh, over time. Well, thanks very much for sharing your story, your background, your experiences, as well as good pillars on both leadership and being a more uh, diverse thinker in terms of uh, trying to make sure that people are given a fair shot inside of our companies. And thank you very much for your time today. Cool. Thanks. Uh, glad to be a part of it. This podcast was made in collaboration with the volunteer marketing team behind Product BC. A big thank you to Camille Paterno for helping with the audio production and to Estella Lee, Peter Wynn, Timothy Young, and others for supporting the planning of this podcast along the way. Please go to productbc.ca if you're interested in becoming a member and joining the community. Once again, I'd like to thank Eric Bin for joining me for today's episode of Broadcast BC. It was fantastic to get his views on the evolution of Vancouver's product community, as well as some helpful tips for hiring and product. Please join us again for future episodes where we look to explore and chat with other local guests on topics like gender equality, women in product, and more. Also, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find the links through podcast.productbc.ca. If you're a member of Product BC, please join the community conversations on Slack to share feedback on the show or to ask questions or share stories of your own product experiences. We have our own channel there for this podcast, uh, hashtag podcast, and we'd like to hear your thoughts and ideas. Thanks for joining in. This is Podcast BC.